Welcome to Rethinking Trade with Lori Wallach, a podcast that unpacks international trade and how it affects you without putting you to sleep. Today, we're going to discuss a sneaky trade loophole you probably have never heard about. But once you know about it, it's going to make your blood boil. It's called the de minimis or Amazon loophole. De minimis means small, but this is a very big deal. It is currently allowing tens of billions of goods to sneak around normal US customs inspection and have imports that are not inspected, could be unsafe, could be counterfeit, dodge taxes, dodge trade cheating penalties coming into our country, coming into your house through a loophole that is now being exploited by some of the world's biggest companies like Amazon to dodge taxes and it is something that can be closed and there's now legislation to do it. We're very lucky to have Kim Glass with us today to unpack this and explain how it can be fixed. Kim is currently the president and CEO of NICTO, the National Council of Textile Organizations. That's the Association of Textile Companies in the United States. These are also the folks who were very nimble in switching production from the kind of stuff they normally make, which is everything from car fabric to surgery fabric to stuff we wear. They switched over to PPE, to masks, to gowns, to help us during COVID. Before being at NICTO, Kim ran a group called the Blue-Green Alliance, which is a national partnership of unions and environmental groups. Before that, she was the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Textiles, Consumer Group, and Materials at the U.S. Department of Commerce. She's also worked on Capitol Hill. Basically, she's been a lifelong, passionate advocate for U.S. workers and domestic manufacturing. Kim, welcome to Rethinking Trade. Hi, Lori. Thank you so much for having me on. So this de minimis, it's called, this the system in customs law, can you just give us an overview about what practically this is and what it means? Well, Lori, de minimis is an issue that no one even understands out there. So having this conversation today, I'm going to try to break this down for you. So when you went to go visit your grandma in Canada and you brought back a sweater, you were given a declaration form to say, are you bringing back some minimal trinket to the U.S. economy where you don't have to pay a tariff on it? So it was intended to be for a minimal level of those kinds of consumer products we bring back home when we're traveling abroad. However, with the advent of e-commerce, where we're all sitting at home and clicking buttons and Amazon ordering products off Amazon to be on our doorstep day in and day out, importers are starting to take advantage of this significant tariff loophole. So essentially, uh, during COVID-19, as many of your listeners here today know, online purchasing exponentially grew and has been growing over the last decade with consumers wanting the ease of shopping and avoidance of stores in general. And as a result, a lot of the products that come to your doorstep are coming in duty-free to the U.S. economy from areas of the world like China, 
where we, uh, the Biden administration and Congress, has strongly raised concerns related to the predatory trade behaviors of China. So what's so outrageous, Lori, about this is the products are coming in duty-free. We don't know who's making them. We don't know if they were done in an environmentally compliant way. They're avoiding paying tariffs. They're avoiding paying uh, any penalty tariffs that we have on China. And we're not even sure if they're safe. In fact, kids' bicycle helmets are coming in, pharmaceutical products, and textile and apparel products. And so it's time to close this loophole. This is not what was intended when you brought back grandma's sweater from Canada. This, is in, this has become something that the importing community has taken advantage of. And if we don't close this loophole, we are putting consumers uh, and manufacturers at risk. So it used to be $200. I remember those forms. And then it became $800 through a change in law in 2015. And so now some pretty big stuff can come in. Auto parts, like airbags that could be fake, bicycles, strollers, stuff we're really making sure that it's safe becomes a big deal. And as I understand how this works, it's not just that there aren't tariffs and taxes and penalties for trade cheating, but also it kind of just skips the entire custom system. So this thing called informal landing, which is what happens if now a good is less than 800 bucks, means that like the safety inspections aren't done or, because I understand in the ports, you've got not just the customs guys trying to collect, you know, the penalties, but also you've got the product safety commission and the environmental folks to make sure it's not endangered species goods. And you've got folks trying to make sure, you know, it's not forced labor goods from Uyghur concentration camps. How is all of that stuff being enforced or isn't it at all? By its very nature, Lori, uh, when you use the word de minimis, it means minimal trade, but it also means minimal enforcement, okay? So Congress decided to expand the de minimis level to $800, but also through our de minimis practice here in the United States, it means that we don't give a great deal of scrutiny to those products that are claiming de minimis, so not only are we seeing more products like you outlined, things like bicycles and strollers, but we're also seeing lack of enforcement related to these products that has been predatory since de minimis has been in place because these products were intended to be, you bring back a trinket. Now the trinkets happen to be shiploads and containers full of products. And when these products make it to our shores, we don't know what the products are. So for example, if you're importing a product under de minimis, you don't have to uh, put the HTS code, which is the harmonized tariff system code, which says this product is a t-shirt, it's a pair of jeans, it's a bicycle helmet. You can just declare, hey, this is something a child wears, or this is a top. Uh, and you may not even have to claim uh, what it is at all. You don't have to show where it came from, who made it, you, you're asked minimal questions associated with this. And so I think now Congress has, um, many members of Congress have said, well, gosh, shouldn't we be asking more questions? More and more people are importing products. Distributors are importing products to the U.S. market that are making it to our shores. 
shouldn't we be asking questions about this this process and be ensuring that the products that are delivered to the U.S. economy are safe for consumers and not hurting domestic manufacturers and workers who have invested here? It's time to get this done. So the thing that I found really shocking was it's like 2 million packages a day just from China, just from Express Air. So then add in all the other ways that imports come in that you were just mentioning. So shiploads of stuff, which, you know, Kim and I know that if you stick individually addressed packages into a great big honking shipping crate, that counts as de minimis, even though the whole shipping crate might be coming from one producer because it's individually addressed, the importer is counted as the individual customer through e-commerce. So there are all of these enormous scams where tens of billions of dollars of stuff every year is coming in. We don't know if it's safe. We don't know where it's from. We don't know if it's skirting the ban on slave labor. We see it dodging the taxes. We see it dodging the cheating penalties. And I want to just make this super concrete. Just make sure I understand this. So let's just say, Kim, you are a bike store in Buffalo, where you are from, and you have an interest in importing three top-end bikes from a maker who happens to be in China. So you, as that small business, have to pay whatever tariffs, penalties, taxes. But me, I'm Amazon. I'm going to sell that same bike online. I'm going to sell it to three different people in Buffalo. And I don't have to pay any of that stuff because of de minimis. It just gets shipped right to the customer. So it sounds like it's also screwing businesses. Bricks and mortar retailers who have invested here in the U.S., the small shops that are on our main street. And it has allowed... uh, online distributors, massive distributors like Amazon to take advantage. Lori, one thing that's really important for everybody to understand is Congress expanded the de minimis level from $200 to $800. Let's take a look at what the de minimis level is for China for products coming in. It's $7. Why is this? Because they don't want to hurt their bricks and mortar. They don't want to hurt their manufacturing industries. And so we should take a page out of the Chinese playbook and say our de minimis level should be $7, in fact, less, because we see this as a problem to our U.S. economy. I was on a panel about three years ago when the tariffs were put on place for the Chinese, the Section 301 tariffs under the Trump administration. And on the panel, I was on with certain brands and retailers advising others who are sourcing executives Don't worry about the penalty tariffs from China. You can get around it by just importing these products using de minimis. What's the point of having trade enforcement if you don't uh, address this gaping loophole? What's the purpose of having a free trade agreement with the United States where you actually have to adhere to labor and environmental standards if everyone can just get access duty-free? And what's the purpose of investing in bricks and mortar retail here or investing in U.S. manufacturing when we're trying to bring these supply chains home? So this is, you're mentioning 2 million shipments a day. We're on a trajectory to double that in a matter of a couple of years. And we don't have the latest data on over the last year under COVID-19, where a lot of online shopping happened. So 
we need to even understand how many shipments are coming in. Uh, but before even um, addressing some of that, we also need to address this immediately in some of the China bills that are on the Hill. So I was, so I was just about to shift to the good news because at this point, you know, folks, I would imagine your blood is boiling. When I started hearing about this, I just lost my marbles because it in so many ways impacts us. It hurts our small businesses. We have no idea what mystery crap we're actually buying. We kind of are expecting all these government agencies are making sure that not only isn't it like kids' clothes made by slave laborers in a Uyghur concentration camp, but that, you know, when you buy that helmet, that it's the real thing and your your kid's head's going to be safe when they invariably fall off their skateboard. So this is so important, and the great news is it seems like we now have an option at least to fix a part of it. So there are two big China bills that have been coming through the Congress. The Senate one, pretty bad. The House one, on the other hand, actually has a fix for this scam. Kim, tell us about that. First off, the House and the Senate are taking up different provisions related to a China package that includes a lot of different things related to semiconductors and onshoring certain uh, of our supply chains. But the trade provision that Lori just mentioned, there's a basic, there's a fundamental difference. The House bill led by Chairman Blumenauer, the trade provisions include an important fix that would bar the Chinese from getting their products to the U.S. utilizing de minimis, whether it's direct shipment from China or indirect shipment through countries like Mexico and Canada. This is an important first step to addressing some of the de minimis concerns because undoubtedly and very clearly the Chinese are taking advantage. In fact, there have been news reports that major online e-commerce conglomerate called Xi'an has built their entire business model uh, marketing to young consumers here in the United States utilizing de minimis. So all the products that you see on that website are coming to our uh, our doorsteps uh, duty-free, and they're not the only ones. So addressing this now in the China bill is essential. Not having it in the China bill, in fact, rewards China, con- continues to reward China for the predatory trade practices. So it is essential to our industry, but it's also essential to all the other products that Lori mentioned to really address this. And if we don't, we're missing a golden opportunity to help uh, send not only a powerful message to China, but to recalibrate the supply chains that the administration has strongly supported. So that provision is called the Import Security and Fairness Act. And the guy behind it, Congressman Blumenauer, is Congressman Earl Blumenauer, who represents a congressional district in Oregon, but he is the chairman of the Trade Subcommittee of the Ways and Means Committee in the House. And that's the, he, he's the, he's, he, he's the biggest wig on trade in the House. We'll just put it that way. He's the leader of the Democrats on trade in the House. So this is a really good opportunity to make sure that actually this problem gets partially addressed, but that also, if you're thinking about bills that are supposed to be dealing with problems with China trade and making the United States more competitive vis-a-vis China, but also that 
help address the supply chain issues that we've all been experiencing. Because, you know, who doesn't want a more resilient, reliable way to make sure we can get the stuff we need? This is actually one of the good fixes. So this would basically, as Kim said, not allow stuff coming from certain countries, namely those that aren't market economies, and those those that are already on the trade sort of cheating list, the Section 301 list, goods from that kind of a country can't come into the U.S. using this loophole. And the way the statute is written, best I can tell, I'm going to get Kim's opinion on this, it's, you know, you don't even probably need to, you know, think twice about changing the statute, but he's he's going to change the statute. <laughs> There's probably discretion in there for a treasury secretary to do this anyway, but now the congressman is going to make sure for real that this kind of stuff can't come in using this loophole. So the thing I'm going to mention, you know, and I'm interested in Kim's view on it is the way this law is written, you know, every country, as Kim said, has this de minimis thing. And so, you know, way back when the, for the U S it was $10, you know, it's over time, it gets bigger. And by the way, just a little bit of trade trivia, the only country in the world with a bigger de minimis standard than the United States is dun, 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 dun. Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan is $1,000. No other country is close to us. The European Union is about $200. It goes up and down depending because it's denominated in euros. So we are way out of whack. Kim is spot on right. So the statute gives a lot of discretion for the Treasury Secretary. And so I'm wondering if you think, Kim, that even right now, the Treasury Secretary could issue a regulation to help fix the rest of this and try to cut some kind of goods out. Lori, spot on. This administration, the Treasury Secretary, has great authorities to limit the products that are coming in, whether they're unsafe, whether they're products that are sensitive to the U.S. economy. There's a lot of discretion the administration has, including any products where there's a 301 tariff associated with with it. We think that the administration should exercise their authorities to help crack down on this predatory trade uh, practice, these imports that are coming in uh, that are that are a real risk to American consumers. And I think that oftentimes, Lori, that sometimes because we don't know how some of these products are coming in or the classification of these products, I think about the N95 crisis, right, in the United States during COVID-19. Um, we couldn't get access to N95s and some of the N95s we were importing weren't meeting the standards. It's N95 masks that are like very high filtration to help ensure that this these variants in COVID-19 are not transmissible. And, you know, I just think about how much PPE have we imported to our hospital systems, our VAs, uh, health systems that are not compliant, that are utilizing de minimis. This actually has a very real impact on our health. And the Treasury Department has tools in the toolbox to move forward with rulemaking. So regardless of what Congress does, and Congress should do something here, the administration has a great deal of authority and they must exercise it. Spot on, Kim. And folks, if you're wondering how you can actually have an effect on this, these China bills are moving. So it's really important for you 
to call your members of the House of Representatives, to talk to your senators, and to basically say you want the Amazon loophole, the de minimis loophole fixed in these China bills. You want the House version so you can close this dangerous scam. And as I frequently do on this show, I'm going to tell you the number of the switchboard of the Capitol. Everyone should put in a yellow sticky on the refrigerator. It's useful for every time you hear about something. These members of Congress work for you. They actually want to hear from you. And so every time you want to get involved, you hear something on the news, have this number handy, 202-225-3121. That's 202-225-3121. And here's the deal. You're not sure who your current member of Congress is? Don't worry. You can call up. You get an operator. They're nice. You give them your zip code. They will connect you to your House member. Once you're in there, you can ask them to switch you over to your state senators, and then you can ask that first senator's office to go to your other senator's office. So one phone call, all you need is your zip code. You can become an active citizen saying, close this dangerous scam. And it really counts. I think it really counts. Kim, you worked on the Hill for one of my favorite congressmen, Congressman Mike Michaud, actually two of my favorite congressmen and Congressman John LaFalse. Does it matter when these calls come in? You were there. Yeah. And Lori, that is great advice to everybody. It absolutely matters. And oftentimes on really important issues like the China bill, members of Congress uh, do take a very active tally about uh, their constituents who call into the switchboard and, and want to voice their opinion on something. Please note that there are many people on the other side of this issue who are uh, making great profits associated with this de minimis loophole. So there's no doubt they have a well-financed campaign to start calling into offices and ginning up support. But the most important are the those that are constituents in the congressional district or in the state. And please know your voice is heard and it is important uh, around this great debate as the China bill continues to heat up, that your voices are heard. That was excellent advice from a national treasure, Kim Glass. She has worked in Congress. She has worked in the administration. She has worked for outside groups, all for the same thing. This lady has fought for American jobs, American workers, American manufacturing. We are very, very lucky to have her fighting for all of us and super lucky to have her today on Rethinking Trade. And many thanks, Kim. Thanks to everyone listening. Please pass on this show if you like it. And if you don't, don't tell anyone. Please call your members of Congress. Thanks very much, friends. Thank you very much, Kim. Thank you.